As we're approaching the end of Paul's epistle to the Romans, we come to a section where the apostle begins making more personal commendations and greetings. First among these, in chapter 16, is the reference to Saint Phoebe, who is called a sister, a servant of the church at Sincrea, and a patron of many. That word servant in the Greek is the same word for deacon, and church history not only claims that Saint Phoebe was one of the very first deaconesses, but also that she was the one entrusted with the responsibility of bringing this whole epistle to its original audience, the church in Rome. Her being called patron is also interesting, as in classical Greek literature, it is a term exclusively used to describe men who were leaders in support of something, often in religious contexts, and its use here probably would indicate that Phoebe was a woman of means who financially supported St. Paul and the other workers for the kingdom. Finally, her home city of Sincrea, on top of being deceptively hard to pronounce, was a bustling port town that handled much of the trade coming into Corinth from all over the known world. In a town of merchants, St. Phoebe's home church would have had the potential to serve men and women from all over the known world who would then spread the gospel as they went about their business, taking the good news with them near and far. All said, we don't know too terribly much about St. Phoebe, but what we do know is that she greatly helped the church to grow and flourish, and her life, given in support of the faithful, is a truly wonderful example for us all. Well, I'd say that's enough for this historical minute. Tanner does such a good job. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you again for another beautiful day. We thank you that we can come into your house and just worship you, and just through music, through word, just to be in your presence, just to be reminded that you've got us as we're walking through this crazy life, that there's nothing that you can't accomplish, that there's nothing that you can't do, that we matter to you more than we can comprehend, that we're special to you in your sight. Father, remind us of those things, and let that give us a peace and a strength to deal with all that life throws at us, and that's our prayer today, and we pray that in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said... Amen. So we are, we're going to pick up in chapter 15 today, and we might get it done. I'm, I'm kind of hoping we do. Um, just as a reminder, though, we've gone through Romans, and I know when we break it up like this, it's kind of hard to piece it all together. But Paul starts out just by sharing how we got into this mess, right? And so he kind of walks through just how sin has messed up the world. Then he sent through, then he talked about grace, and he talked about how Jesus was the answer and how he was all sufficient. And then he talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit now resides in us, and we're moved by by the Spirit to follow him and all those different things. It's essentially the gospel narrative, law, gospel, application, right? And that's the, the book of Romans. I do want to just share one piece because I, I, I think I just keep hearing these comments over and over lately. And I want to focus on the grace piece just before we get to these final words from Paul. Grace is one of those things that's kind of hard to comprehend. But we are saved by grace through faith, right? Faith would, uh, grabs hold of this grace and essentially says thank you. But grace is one of those things that is God doing his thing for us, upon us, to us. It's, it's God just thrusting his love, pursuing us with his love to make sure we're in, with him in heaven one day. Okay, I'll give you some examples of how we get that wrong sometimes. I was talking to, actually, it's, this is an example I keep using lately, but it's because it's, it's such a perfect example. But again, I have a friend who became Christian later in life, and he was hanging around some Christians that he had not seen for a while, and he says, hey, I'm a believer again. And he, they said, great, you're going to be in heaven with us. And they said, he said, well, I, I hope I've been good enough. It, and when he came to me and he shared that story, I said, man, you're not even close to being good enough, right? And again, his face fell, and I said, but Jesus was. 
See, there's something about that grace. God's forgiven us because of who he is, because of what Jesus has done, not because we're good people, not that we can attain anything in our life, not that we can ever be good enough, but Jesus was good enough for us. He washes us over because of his blood, and we attain that not through works, but through faith in this God who loves us. I'll give you one I just heard the other day. We were talking about end time stuff or persecution stuff, and, and one of the guys in the room just says, man, I hope I have enough strength when it comes to those moments so that I don't fall, right? And you think about Peter and the denials, and I, I just hope that I have enough strength. And I, I just looked at him and I said, oh, buddy, you don't have enough strength, <laughs> right? But God who lives in us can give us the strength. God who lives in us will be there for us every step of the way. And in those moments of crisis when we need him, we can trust that he will provide exactly what we need to move forward. But here's the beauty in that. None of it is dependent upon us. It's all dependent upon him giving us what we need at every single moment. So whenever it comes to our salvation, you don't ever have to think, I hope I've been good enough or I hope I'll be strong enough or I hope I won't fall away. You just keep trusting Jesus, you just keep trusting that he's got you. And I'm telling you, as long as you're trusting the God who loves you, you will have all the grace and the strength and the power that you need to keep on keeping on until you're with him in heaven one day. The grace thing that Paul talks about, the the grace thing that moved Martin Luther when he was reading through the pages of Romans was that God's got me. It's not all on me. And so as he walks through this, he gets to the last few chapters that we've been talking about. And I think for our culture today, man, those have been tough. But Paul's words in the midst of those is, hey, let's keep our focus on Christ. Let's keep our focus on main things. Let's not get caught up in the politics of the world. Let us not get caught up in opinions and stuff of that of the world. And not that they're not important, but let's keep our focus on on Christ, lest we lose what it is that we've gained, lest we lose our focus entirely and start forsaking Christ. Let us keep our focus on him. And so the last few chapters, he's challenged us, I think in some pretty powerful ways, given the times, to keep our focus on him. And, and just as a, a kind of a side note, you know that Paul didn't lead any rebellions against Rome because of the stuff that was going on. Does that blow your mind? It blows your mind because their world was worse than ours. And he also, in the midst of having the the Jewish Christians and the, and the Gentile Christians kind of forming together that one church, there was going to be differences. They grew up with the, with the Torah. They grew up with the law that God had given them on Mount Sinai. They grew up differently than the rest of the, than the, rest of the Gentile Christians that joined together. And he just said, hey, look, you're going to have some differences. But again, let us keep our focus on Jesus. Let us keep our focus on his truth and his promises. I'm telling you, our world is losing sight of Jesus because of everything else that's been thrown at him. And we're not even adding life in, right? When life gets thrown into the mix, it's all up in the air. We start freaking out about health. We start freaking out about family. We start freaking out about relationships. We start freaking out about our work. Over and over, they just bombard us in life and we lose focus. And when we lose focus, we forget that God's got us, that he'll love us all the way through it, that he'll empower us through every step, that he's with us. We forget those promises that give us peace and we get all geared up and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so we're gonna continue on chapter 15, verse eight. And he's bringing us back to this idea of, hey, we're all one in Jesus Christ. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, talking about the Jews, to show God's truthfulness 
in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So I'm going to stop there. So he came to the, to the circumcised. He came to the Jews to show them that he is a God that is always true to his promises. I'm telling you, we have this box that we keep God in in our faith. We trust him for our salvation. We trust him for forgiveness most of the time. We, we trust him. Sometimes that's it, Right? But there's 7,000 promises that he gave us that he wants in this box. Actually, he wants us to blow off all the, 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 the sides of the box so we can just trust him with everything. But the more and more we trust him for what he has said in our life, the more and more areas we can experience his peace in our life. Do you want peace in finances? What does God say? Trust me with them then. What does that look like? It means putting 10% first to him and trusting that somehow, someway, he'll take care of you. Do you want peace in the midst of your troubles or your problems or your stresses or your anxieties? Give those stresses, those anxieties, those fears to God and let him take care of them. Let him do the things that you can't control. Let him focus on this because he is able and experiences peace. You want peace in your relationships? Well, follow his ways. But if you're struggling in those, trust that God can continue to work on them as well. Continue that as long as you keep doing right things, as long as you keep trying, as long as you keep persevering, that God is also working on the other person as well. Until the fat lady sings or until the divorce happens or whatever, there's always Hope. There's always a possibility of changing hearts. And I can give you example after example after example of that of marriages that God has saved because they kept persevering. The more and more we trust God with our stuff, the more and more peace we can experience. Do you want peace in the midst of the political turmoil today? Trust that God is able. Trust that God can change hearts. Trust that God can protect you. Trust, trust that God's got you in the midst of the chaos and the disorder and the, ugh, the yuck that is Washington today, right? But just trust that he's going to continue to walk with you. So he's saying he is true to his promises, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. In other words, he came through again in sending the Messiah. And he goes on, in order that the Gentiles might glorify in God, glorify God for his mercy. So the Gentiles didn't deserve to receive this. They weren't God's people. God came, you know, he, he promised the Jews that he was going to save them. The promise was for the Jews. And yet, throughout Scripture, God has said, I'm going to open it up to the Gentiles at some point, even though they don't deserve my grace, even though everything they've done is rebellion against me. I'm going to open up Jesus to them too. And then he goes on, and in verse um, 9, he continues, says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to, you, and sing to your name. Psalm 8. Uh, 18 verse 49 and again it said rejoice O Gentiles with his people Deuteronomy 32 verse 43 and again in Psalm 67 verse 4 praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him again Psalm 117 verse 1 and again Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope from Isaiah 11:10 and 11:1 again and again Paul shares these pieces of scripture that have been part of the Jewish narrative, that have been part of their Torah for, or their writings for forever, showing them that this was God's plan. It wasn't just for them. It's for all who believe in Jesus Christ. He's just saying that that it needs to be our focus, that that's what's going to make a difference for eternity. Our spending time in heaven is way more important than anything else you got going on. And that's his plea as he ends this, this, this section. And so then he says this in verse 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we fill you with all joy and peace that comes from believing, that comes from trusting him so that you might have hope. If you believe that nothing is impossible for our God, and that he's the one who puts people in charge in different places, and that he has a, a thing that he's working toward, bringing everything to culmination for the end time. If you believe that he's in control, then all the stuff that you're watching on the news, you can just rest in the knowledge that he's still got it. Doesn't mean things won't get difficult in the intermediate, right? It doesn't mean things don't get hard. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be upset by different things that happen from here or there, depending. It just means that he's got it, that he's got us. If it means persecution, he's got us in the midst of the difficulty. He'll provide for us in the midst of the storm. He will be a God that continues to give us voice in the midst of persecution. He will be one that is faithful all the way through. If it's not the end, I promise you, there'll be something that swings it back because that's what's happened throughout the course of history. And again, people will come to faith and again, the church will rise in a more powerful way and again, we'll see blessing on the earth, right? But God's got it. it. Don't ever feel like it's all on you or it's all on our government or it's all on whatever other government. I mean, just know that God's got it. In your life, know that God's got your health. If it's the one that's going to take you home, know that he's got you in eternity. If it's not, he's going to make you better. Chances are, every sickness that you've had, he's made you better from because it didn't take you home. If it's in your job, trust that somehow, someway, he'll keep providing for you and your family. God's given you a vocation. He's given stuff he wants you to do on this earth. And if a time is closed in one place, he'll open up another place. Trust all the way through, and in that trusting, you can find peace. I was just talking to Walt prior to service, and I was like, I'm having this tennis match with God. I'm, I'm stressed about all kinds of things, but I keep giving them back to God, and then I keep trying to take them back. You know, if it's like this back and forth, but man, the more I can give it to them, the more peace I experience, and the more peace I experience, the more joy I have. That was my last night. I worried for two hours, and then I finally remembered. I gave it to God, and I went to sleep. I mean, I wish all of you just would enjoy that peace that comes from trusting the God who loves you. And so Paul encourages that. He moves on in verse 14 and says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I believe that's true of you guys. As you grow in the faith, as you grow in his word, you can teach one another, you can encourage one another. I'm just your cheerleader at some point. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder in other words, I've given you some tough truths to try to assimilate into your lives. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I will make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation." But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
So Paul's just saying, I've been a minister to the Gentiles. That's the mission God gave me. He sent me out to, to share with the world about Jesus. And, and in each of these places, there was difficulty. And in each of these places, there was different kinds of things that they would squabble about. But Paul's message all the way through was Jesus. Because if you put your hope in Jesus, your eternity can be changed. Jesus, 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 right? That's what we keep hearing. But that was Paul's message as he's sharing this final words. I don't want you to lose sight of him. We get so upset over carpet. We get so upset whether the blinds are up and down. And now what are you going to do, right? We got, oh, I guess we got paper. But I mean, the reality is we get so upset about things that don't matter whatsoever in terms of eternity. But every time we get upset, it divides us. And every time it divides us, Satan gets an in and starts wreaking havoc on people's faith. So you ever wonder why I keep, well, why I was so passionate maybe the last couple of weeks as we talked about government and, 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 and the weak bearing with the strong, right? Or, or just not squabbling about debatable things. It's because in the midst of all this pressure that the world has put on us, I need to scream back at you, it's just Jesus. The church has just got to be about Jesus. You can have your political bents. You can be passionate about different things in the world. Work to make them better, absolutely. But when it comes to our relationships with one another, not just in the church, but in our neighborhoods or at work, we've got to care about the person more than we care about all the other stuff. Because if we care about the person, we can lead them to Jesus, which makes an eternal difference, not just a temporal difference. we got to stop throwing away relationships that matter to us, and even relationships that might not matter to us. Because every one we cast away, we lose an opportunity to share about what? Jesus. We've lost focus of that. We've justified being mad at other people. We've justified throwing away relationships. We've justified all the stuff that is so against anything that Paul would preach or that Jesus would commend. We've got to love each other more so that we can share the message of forgiveness and reconciliation and hope to this world that desperately needs all those things. And I'm telling you, Paul's speaking from where we are. His world was worse but he kept bringing hope to the world. Do you see how that's a different message than arguing or debating about various things? He was bringing hope. God's got a better way. God loves you. He's got you. He's forgiven you. It shared a whole different message to a totally broken world at that time, and people gravitated to it because finally something, I mean, think about the news, instead of negative, 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 finally somebody was giving them hope that their life could be different, better, that their eternity would be something where God would save them from all the yuck that they were experiencing. And so Paul go, kind of finishes up as he's talking through all that. And when he says um, that the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, he's just saying they have been affected by the message of Jesus Christ. They believed in him with all their hearts and it can't help but change them to obedience. Just like because you know Jesus, you act differently than the world around you. I want you to own that. I do. I want you to own it. I was, I was re recently at a, oh, a swim banquet and stuff like that. And one of the, they give prizes to some of the different kids and stuff like that. And one of the, one of the, or nicknames or whatever, and one of the plate nicknames they gave to one of the kids was Christian. And I was thinking, whoa, would you like that name, you know? But I was like, man, I hope that kid owns that. They have been such a witness, a light in the midst of the darkness, that people saw that, that they look at them and they were still accepted, but they were known by that name, which probably wouldn't have been a cool name, right? But the reality is they were known because of Jesus. 
They bore their cross in enough ways where people knew that they loved Jesus. And that's a testimony. And, and if any of those kids are moved at some point to get, want to know more, guess who they're going to call? They're going to call that kid. The kid that was on their team, the kid that was fun, but still wore on their sleeves the fact that they loved Jesus more. I'm telling you, when people know that you're a believer in Jesus, when God somehow rattles their cage enough, they're the, you're the ones that they're going to come ask. And you get an amazing opportunity in those moments to share that God loves you, that he's got a better way that can save you from so much of the pain and the hurt that you're going through that he can forgive that past that you just won't let go. He can give you hope. And guys, that's the message in our world today that we desperately need to hear from everybody. I pray that all of you guys are known by the name Christian, right? Or believer in Jesus. Or one who holds to his truths. In verse 22, he goes on and says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Because of his mission to the Gentiles because of all the areas in Asia Minor and all around that he was sharing the gospel. But now, since I have no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have, no, have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So he's, okay, so he's in the midst of collecting all these funds for the people in Jerusalem that are just going through a really hard time. As more and more Christians came to the church, fewer and fewer of them got the benefit of being in the, in the temple and receiving the benefit from the temple and the, the food and the helps that they would give to the people. And so they're kind of left on their own. And so the church had to pick that up. When the famine hit, it hit the church hard. The giving went down and they were just struggling to provide for these widows and these orphans that would come to the church. And so Paul went around and he did this big collection from all the churches that had been affected by Jesus Christ to help especially the church in Jerusalem, not only to show them that they care, but to show the unity we're in this with you it's not an us and them it's a we when it comes to Christ and so he's doing that so he hasn't yet been back to uh, Jerusalem where you know he's thrown into jail and he starts this whole period of time where he's in imprisonment and so he's saying hey I feel like it's time to go to Rome and eventually he would go to Rome just differently than he thought but he says I want his whole idea was I want to stop by you and use you as a home base as I go and start preaching to the ends of the earth, which at that time was Spain, right? If you think the Mediterranean, that's the last continent on the road. And so I'm sure France, I'm sure England, if you could get to England, but he was going to go and try to preach to all the areas he could in the name of Jesus. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints." so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. What's interesting, too, as he writes these words, he's kind of writing from the heart, he's, he's got an inkling of what's coming, right? From please uh, preserve me or save me from the unbelievers, be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He has a sense that what he's going into is a hornet's nest. He has a sense that because of all the work that he's been doing all around the world, that they're going to be upset with him. And so he's just, because of the things he experienced in the different towns, the resistance of the Jews, he knew that got back to home base, you know, in Jerusalem. And just so you're aware, if you go through Acts, almost every stop that he made as he journeyed back to Jerusalem, they were all warning him of the same thing. Imprisonment and death is waiting for you, buddy. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. I mean, bad things are ahead of you. 
And so even though Paul had an inkling, even at this point, that things might not go exactly the way he had just said, he still went, didn't he? I think about Jesus. I mean, he, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into. And you, you just got to imagine every step of that way back to Jerusalem during those final months, weeks of his life had to just be an agonizing thing knowing exactly what he was going to have to do on the cross, knowing how the whole of the world would turn against him, it seems, as they crucified him on that cross. Scripture says it's because of his love for God that he kept going. Right? I mean, he and the Father are one, but it's because he knew the purpose for which he was sent. There was something bigger than his own suffering, something bigger than his own life. This was the only way that it could be accomplished. And Paul, too, even though he was warned at every step of the way, even though his spirit was troubled by the very same things, instead of responding to fear, he knew that what he was doing bringing aid back to Jerusalem was of more importance than his own life, than his own safety, than his own comfort or convenience. I keep sharing this with my kids over and over, but don't make any decisions based on fear. Fear is not from God, right? Unless it's of loud noises or or heights. I guess those are two natural fears. But fear is not from God. Face your fears. Do what's right in the midst of the fear. And God almost always works it out. But whenever we make decisions based on fear, we end up losing. Losing opportunities, losing friends, losing peace of mind. Fear is one of the things that enslaves us. And so I just want to give you a point out again to you, Paul, and just even though, what does they say, bravery is not the absence of fear, but it's moving ahead in spite of the fear, right? Courage. Both Jesus and and Paul had this courage, this bravery to trust that God had him in the midst of whatever it is that he called him to and that what he was calling to was of greater importance than anything that was in him, right? And that the reward that they would get as a result of this was astronomical in heaven. He goes on then and says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who Tanner talked about, a servant of the church of Centuria, and you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. In other words, just because she's a woman, right, make sure you treat her with proper respect. She is an amazing person. She's funded so many of these ministries. She's been a, a pillar of the church. She is a, one who teaches all sorts of people about me. Just treat her with respect. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in our house. By the way, sometimes Paul gets a bad knock about some of his stances on women as priests or pastors, right? In Timothy, he'll talk about that even more. But Paul was continually uplifting females, and that was a a new thing back in the day. That was a countercultural thing to elevate them to places of honor or, 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 or position, and if you notice, half the, almost half the people are here, or eight or nine people here that he lists in this letter to Rome, and he lists a ton, are, are women. In other words, extolling them, extolling their faithfulness, extolling their care, extolling their value in the church. 
moving on in verse 5. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaphroditus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amphipolis, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Uh, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Uh, greet those workers in the Lord of blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of names here. What's interesting about all this, I'm just going to stop there. Um, Paul had never been to Rome. He had never, he never actually been to Rome and met, met all these people. And yet, over his course of time of sharing all the way around the Mediterranean, that's where he met these people. And just like today, people moved. All roads lead to Rome was a saying, right? And so there was different reasons that you would move to Rome for periods of time, for business, for politics, for, for family, for all sorts of different things. Anyway, as people move, they would move to Rome. And so he was able to list off all these different people that he had met along the way that resided there. In verse 17, I'll pick up. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. So one of the biggest things that Paul shares in all his letters is a warning against division. I shared that before. Whenever things get divided, Satan gets an in. And, and usually division I mean, there's godly division, I guess, when you're one side's holding to the truth of God, but there's so many dumb divisions that are over the color of carpet or, or some dumb thing that divides families and, and hurts hearts. But Paul's just warning, avoid division at all possible. However, in this case, he says, avoid those who cause divisions with, that create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. In other words, they're creating divisions according to the truth. They're saying lies, in other words, and, and they're dividing people's hearts. So I was trying to think of some of the things today that, I mean, we get caught up in so much of the other stuff that, that maybe is worldly, but there's some stuff, some um, heresies, commonplace heresies today that I think do damage to people's hearts, and I just listed a few of them. One of them is that uh, God is only love. Is God love? Amen. Yes, God is amazing. He loves more than we can comprehend. It's, it's astronomical. But that has been perverted to the point where God is just love, and the highest form of love then is just accepting you as you are. Is that also true? Does God accept you as you are? Yeah, yeah. He just loves you too much to keep you that way, right? He accepts you as you are, loves you so much because you are his child, but if there's sin in your life, guess what? He loves you too much to let you reside in that sin. Why? Because sin is a destroyer. It complicates your life. It makes your life worse. It, it does all sorts of damage to your life and to relationships in your life and to your body in your life and all sorts of different things. He loves you too much to stay that way. Think of... Um, Somebody, let's just pretend you had somebody in your life that was an alcoholic. Do you love that? Let's say it's your son. Do you love your son who's the alcoholic? You love your son so much you can't even stand it. But do you love him too much to let him stay in his alcoholism? Aren't you going to try everything you can to try to get his attention, to try to bring some awarenesses, to get him into detox, to, to do something that will bring him back to health? Because you know if he continues on this path, it's just going to make things worse. True love loves like God. It loves you the way you are, can't help it. But it loves you too much to keep, 
seeing you hurt yourself again and again and again and again, and that's what sin does. And so God more and more tries to make you like him. That's what the Spirit's doing in your, in your heart. He's crying out to you, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. It's the safer way, it's the better way. And so as you go through this, one of the biggest divi- or falsities out there is that God is just love. It gets us into saying, well, God is just love, and so I accept you as you are, but then that means in our world today that I accept all the sin that you are. That I don't love you enough to actually drive you out of the sin. I just love you in the midst of the sin, and that's enough. What did Jesus come to do? To forgive our sin. What does Jesus proclaim? John the Baptist proclaimed. Peter proclaimed in his first few messages, repent for the kingdom of God is near. The church is open to everybody. I want everybody to come to church and hear the message of Jesus Christ, but those in the church are here so that they can repent and receive the forgiveness of God. The church is about forgiveness. It's about dispensing the forgiveness of God. It's not about okaying everybody's sin. Everybody in here has got some sin. I don't don't okay any of it. God doesn't okay any of it. It's stuff that is complicating your life. It's stuff that is hurting your relationships. It's stuff that is hurting you. God hates that sin. And so he sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven for the sin that's within us. Not to okay the sin, but to eradicate the sin out of us so that we can be made whole again. But in our world today, when it's just love, we confuse that with just pure acceptance of whatever, and we've allowed all kind of sin into the church, haven't we? Paul talks against sexual sin over and over and over, and yet we just say, you know, whatevs. Not we. But some in the church say, what else? I mean, it's all okay. LGBTQ, whatever, it doesn't, LMNOP, it doesn't matter. Even though it's sin, we just, God is just love, so he's not going to be mad at your sin. That's a half-truth. It's not the whole God. He goes on and says that all paths lead to the same place. Have you heard that? Well, we don't want to get too particular on, on, you know, what God says in the scripture, right? If we don't like it, we should just, I don't know, erase it and make sort of our own God. Because, you know, in the end, God's just love, and so he'll all just take us home to be in heaven. That's the narrative of the world today. What they do when they say stuff like that, though, is they dismiss this, not just the centrality, but the, the, that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only one that died for your sins. That Jesus is the only one that has served that punishment for you. That he is the only one that has reconciled that relationship with God. That it's only through Jesus Christ that we're saved. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you've held to him, great. But if not, that rebellion against Jesus will cost you your eternity in hell. There is not an okay or always lead to the same place. That is not true. That's a deception of Satan, and yet our world has bought into it. Good deeds count towards salvation. That's what purgatory is all about, isn't it? Kind of like get them to the next space. Or my friend, I hope I've been good enough. Guys, you'll never be good enough. You'll never earn enough tokens to go into heaven. It's only through the forgiveness of of Jesus. How about another one? Uh, Authority of Scripture. I kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. Today's world, if we don't like what it says, we just erase it, don't we? Or use a magic marker and go through it. And so we okay all sorts of sin, we okay all sorts of theology that are clearly anti what Scripture says. I've actually heard pastors say, hey, I know the Scripture doesn't teach this, or I know the Scripture says the opposite of this, but this is what we're doing now. 
right? Because a new spirit is blown into town, a fresh new wind, right? It sounds so spiritual, except that it's against what Scripture says. These are the kinds of things that Paul is warning against. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and to create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. In other words, by buying into those things, you can lose sight of Jesus. You got a question here. When did Paul work with Priscilla and Aquila? Oh, James gave me the answer. Thank you, James. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, as was Paul. Priscilla and Aquila had been among the Jews expelled from Rome by the Roman Emperor Claudius uh, in the year 49, as written by Suetonius. They ended up in Corinth. Paul lived with Priscilla and Aquila for approximately 18 months. Then the couple started out to accompany Paul when he proceeded to Syria but stopped at Ephesus in the Roman province of Asia, now part of modern Turkey. So he got to stay at their house for 18 months while they were making tents. That's pretty cool. Thank you, James. I did not know that. Um, Okay, that was the last question. Uh, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm sorry, let me pick up in verse 19 again. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So he's just saying, guys, if I can part you with anything, give you any parting things, stay with my truth. Avoid the people that teach lies. It's not insignificant. I know the world makes it seem insignificant or almost like it's another option, but it's not. We're talking about eternity. Where we spend eternity, cling to my truth. It's the most important thing. And the God of all peace will crush Satan's head. In other words, God defeats Satan all the way through. It's the victory that has been won for us in Jesus Christ. Nobody can take you away from God's love. Nobody can take you away from the forgiveness of Christ. Nobody can touch you. Well, I guess they can touch you, right, physically. But nobody can affect your eternity in Christ. Because Satan has not given them that power because he has crushed the power of Satan over you. And while he may make the world a mess, and while he may complicate your life a great deal, and while you might even have to die at his hands, nothing can take you away from your prize in heaven. So Paul says, cling to my truth because the only person that can throw that away is you. And again, it's a continual doing, right? It's a continual rejecting of Christ. Think about it. If you blow it one time and you, and you feel like I've blown it, I went too far this time, God can't forgive me, what do you have to do to get back in his house, in his, in his, in his family? God, I'm sorry. Again and again, that's all you have to do. The only way you can remove yourself from the forgiveness of God is to keep saying, I don't want forgiveness. Don't do that. God will continue to give you strength. Every time you trust in him, every time you go to him, he will continue to give you what you need to persevere and to go forward. The only way you can get yourself outside of that is by saying, I don't want any of it. See, it's a continual rejection of God. It's a continual walking away from God. That's the only way it can be lost. So don't continue to go this way. Run back to Jesus. And it's like you never left. He'll continue to love on you, to encourage you, and as you make better decisions, experience blessing in your life again and again and again. Timothy, my fellow worker, oops. Okay, I'm finishing. 
Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sopater, my kinsmen. Uh, I'm just going to skip ahead to verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ, amen. All that's just saying this, now to the God who's got you, who loves you, who'll be with you, who'll strengthen you, who'll give you words to share, who'll give you power to act, to him who is able, give yourselves to him and look forward to the reward ahead. And so ends Paul's writing on Romans. Next week we'll pick up in 1 Corinthians and kind of go on there. 1 Corinthians is a neat book in the sense that it's basically written to our world today. Paul is giving wisdom to the church today in the midst of all the dysfunction that is, and he gives us all kinds of things for the church. And so let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for, for Paul's words, just reminding us that, I don't know, no matter how difficult life gets, that you've got us that it's not all on us as we go through this life, that you are with us every step of the way, that we have value in your sight, that we are accepted in your sight, that we are forgiven in your sight. And because of that, Lord, we can find peace and we can find joy in the midst of all it is. Father, remind us that you've got us and that our reward with you is secure. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.